right. Uh, we'll appreciate them doing that and uh, excited to kind of move into Christmas. There's a lot of wires right there. I'm going to electrocute myself for a trip. We don't want to do that. Um, and thanks for being here to celebrate and worship together. Um, and it's a great time of year. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to move into our text and tell you a little bit about our Christmas series and jump into it. So uh, let's pray for our time together. <clears throat> Father, we are grateful. Uh, for the opportunity you give us to serve around the world and in our communities. Um, and thanks for the way that you've allowed us to send out uh, these different opportunities with truth about you through these shoeboxes. And we do pray that you will use that in your sovereignty to touch lives. And uh, you work through a variety of means to help people know about your son. And so we pray that you will work through those. Um, thanks for all the people who serve here, and thanks for what you're doing through their work for you. And uh, we're grateful for that. And thank you for the opportunity now to pause and reflect and go back to very familiar things, but uh, essential things to our faith. And so we do pray that the Spirit will work in our time and that uh, what you have done, Father, and what the Son has done uh, in the Spirit this time of year will be something that we can think about well in our next few weeks together. So thank you, Father. Uh, will you work for your purposes to meet us where we are today? And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, like I said, today is, I'm going to move this just so I bump into it. It's going to be okay. Uh, today is, we're kicking off the series. And as the little screen tells me, uh, this year we're going to kind of think about this Christmas sermon series entitled, What Child Is This? What Child Is This? I won't sing it today, but just be ready. You think it's powerful when we light candles on Christmas Eve? Just wait till I bust out what child of this on a Sunday morning. It'll be just remarkable. Uh, it, it's a well-known Christmas carol for some of us, right? And as we think about this season, as we think about Christmas, as we think about the Hallmark shows that you're watching, as we think about Christmas carols and hot chocolate and peppermint dreams, there's a ton of uh, sentimentality in this time of year, right? When we enter the Christmas season, it's this unique season where in the air, there's just this fluffy, sweet, uh, nostalgic, kind of vague sentimentality that's floating around there. And a lot of times it's not even really grounded in reality, but there's this pretend sense that it's just great and different and precious and that just, that just hovers over us this time of year with lots of stuff that goes on at Christmas, and, and many times that sense of sentimentality and fairy taleishness, and sometimes get uh, engaged and involved with thoughts about Jesus. When we talk about Jesus this time of year, we talk about baby Jesus and we sing songs about sweet baby Jesus. And there's sometimes just this sentimentality around a sweet little baby that's nice, but Oftentimes, the sentimentality can get separated from the actuality of who Jesus really was and is and why he came this time of year. Many times in the sentimentality of Christmas, there we attach a certain sentimentality to Jesus, which isn't necessarily bad, but we just want to make sure that the sentimentality we feel about Jesus this time of year isn't separated from the actuality about who Jesus was and uh, what he came to do. And so what we're going to do in our time together for the next several weeks is we're going to look at some passages about the Christmas story. We're going to look at some familiar verses about the Christmas story, and we're going to see what they reveal about Jesus. And in actuality, think about, man, what child was he, right? What child is this? Who was he? What did he come to do? And what did he, uh, what was he about? And what's woven through those thoughts that we'll get into, and in many ways really woven through the Christmas story, is this question of whatever child that he is, right, can he be trusted? Can he be trusted? It's a question that as you're thinking about Christmas, you're probably asking it in all sorts of different ways and different places, right? The question this time of year we ask is, man, is something going to deliver on what it's promised to do? Is something going to come through? Can I trust something to do what it is said? You are, many of you, uh, I used to love to go to the Trumbull Mall about 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve and do all of my Christmas shopping. 
I thought it was the most remarkable thing. I have carried that tradition of going to malls on Christmas Eve for many years into my marriage, and my wife is like, you are the biggest knucklehead in the world, right? And there's many reasons that that is a true statement. Uh, But over the years, I've become that guy who's like, I mean, I'll go out and get a peppermint drink, but I don't want to do shopping at any stores. I just want to sit home on my couch on Amazon.com and order everything. And maybe you're like me. And so maybe what you're wondering is you have jumped on Amazon, right? And you've looked at those presents you want to get from somebody, and you have Prime, and you see that what starts to come under those presents is if you order this by December 24th at 11.42 p.m., it will be here by Christmas Day. And you're asking yourself, wow. If I really wait till 11.42 p.m. on Christmas Day, is it going to really get there and deliver on time? Is it going to come through for me? You have found somewhere a recipe for the best Christmas cookie ever. And you're getting excited about making it, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking, "Mm, is it really going to be, I mean, the best Christmas cookie ever? You have young kids or teenagers or, heck, young adults or, I don't know, maybe 60-year-old kids, and all they want this year is PlayStation 5. And Walmart purported to have it anytime you wanted it on Black Friday, and they claim that they're going to have it throughout the Christmas season, and all that your child wants under that Christmas tree is PlayStation 5, and you think to yourself, well, Walmart says they're going to have it, but I mean, if I wait another few days, oh, is Walmart really going to come through? Can it be trusted. Maybe you're going to fly to go see grandma or grandpa. Maybe you are grandma and grandpa, and you're going to fly to go see your kids, and you've made your flights. If you've made them on Frontier Airlines, don't bother calling customer service because they ain't got it anymore. I don't know if you know that, but they don't. So if you've made your airline flights, and you're excited to go see your family, and you're traveling right over the river and through the woods in an airplane, and the question you're asking yourself is, I mean, we're supposed to get there a day or two before Christmas, but I mean, is the airline really going to do what they say they're going to do, or is my flight going to be delayed until next Christmas, right? Throughout this season, when we think about getting things to people on time, or we think about the best recipe ever, or we think about, is that store really going to have that voucher for the thing they say they're going to have? Are my plane tickets really going to work? There's this question throughout it all, right, woven of, man, can I depend upon something? This season, as we're running through Christmas, can I trust something? This season, as we're preparing for Christmas, is it going to deliver for me? And in many ways, that question that we're asking about cookies and presents and Amazon and plane tickets is really a question that is at the heart and woven implicitly throughout prophecies about Christmas and throughout the stories and the events within the larger Christmas story. The question of, is something going to come through for me? The question of, can I trust what is said? The question of, is it going to deliver? Is implicit underneath all of the stories that many of us have heard for many years around Christmas. And the question of, can it be trusted? Can't be separated from the question of, what child is this? Because as we think about what child is this, the thing that instantly flows through that is, okay, so that's the child that it is. Can I now trust it? Can I now believe that the child that it is is going to deliver for me in some particular way? The question of what child is this can't be separated from the question of will it deliver for me? Will something come through for me? Can it be trusted? And as we think about the question of what child is this, the more I say it, the more I want to sing it. That always happens with words to songs. When we think about that, there's a familiar passage, and actually it was part of our reading today, when we think about what child is this. There's a familiar verse in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6, that that gives some context, and maybe many of you have heard it, and even if you're not church or person, you've probably heard it. And this is what it says, a little bit of an insight about uh, what child that it was. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Words that probably a vast majority of us in some context, as we thought about what child is this, those, those are phrases that you've heard. But, but here's the reality about this verse uh, and other verses, right? God didn't just like, you know, let me tell you what God did not do. God did not say to himself, you know what? In 2022, people are going to need to know what to put on their Christmas cards, Right, people are going to get online to Vistaprint to order some Christmas cards, and they're going to have to figure out what to put on the front. And so, let me give them some sound bites to, for them to put on their Christmas cards. God did not drop this in the Bible just so a couple of weeks before Christmas we had some lovely words to put on Christmas cards. Have you ever gotten a Christmas card that had any of these words on it? I have. That's that's cool. Have you ever sent a Christmas card with these words on it? We probably have. That's cool. That's not bad. But these words weren't given to people to help people know what to put on their Christmas cards. The reason that these words were given was because it, it flowed from and it was helping a group of people a long, long time ago who were wrestling with the question of what are you going to trust? There were a group of people a long time ago and a leader of that people who had to decide, okay, what are we going to trust in? And they made some choices, and then they were in a situation because of what they did or they didn't trust in. And so in response to that, God gave them this word so that they could know about what child is this so they could help themselves answer the question going forward. When we face new things in life, what are we going to trust in? So... What's the backstory to this? If this wasn't given to be a soundbite to put on Christmas cards originally, why did God tell the words to a group of people about what child this is? Why did he tell them this? What was the context of it? What was going on in their lives? And what does that have to do with what may be going on in my life? So, Let's unpack it. There's two different places that we can unpack this. Two different things tell us the context that that was going, okay? So uh, two different places. One is Isaiah 7, and the second place is 2 Kings 16. So we're going to kind of flip back and forth between those passages. And, and here's where we are. Let's go back. This is history lesson for a minute. Ready? We're going back in time, and there was this country <clears throat> called uh, the nation of Israel, right? God had a group of people who were his chosen people, and they... He got them into a a particular piece of land, and we refer to that as the nation of Israel, the land of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And then, because of politics, because of sin, because of chaos, that nation split. And there was almost a a civil war. There was the vision of those kingdoms. And there was a northern kingdom, and there was a southern kingdom. So, it'd be like if the United States split in half, and there was a northern kingdom... And then somewhere about the middle of Virginia, all the way across through halfway through California, there was a southern kingdom. Northern kingdom has bagels and pizza. Southern kingdom has barbecue, sweet tree, fried shrimp. Sunshine and no snow. Wow. Which kingdom are we going to live in, right? Well, the nation of Israel, northern kingdom and uh, southern kingdom. And there was a guy who took over as king of the southern kingdom. And we read about that in 2 Kings 16, 1 through 2. And this is what it says. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramahaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. So this dude named Ahaz uh, jumps onto the throne of the southern kingdom and he begins to reign. Interestingly, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign. So a 20-year-old has the opportunity to move into ruling this pretty significant geopolitical country in that day. But when this 20-year-old got on the throne, there was a lot of things that he would have been facing because there was this country called Assyria that was this huge threat. It was like the world superpower of that day. And this country of Judah, the southern kingdom, Assyria was facing this, this huge threat. And, and Ahaz and his crew and his team and his cabinet and his secretary of defense, they, part of what they started thinking about early on was, what are we going to do about Assyria? Because if they come and attack us, how are we going to defend ourselves? And with that going on, he faced another threat. 
And the other threat we read about in Isaiah 7.1. I'll flip over to it and read it, um, but it'll also be on the screen. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Joshua, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramallah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. Okay, so here's what's going on. Cliff note version. Here is the southern kingdom of Judah with Ahaz, this 20-year-old. One huge threat is this number one superpower in the world that's got the fastest bombers, What? and they are threatening to take over because they are just sweeping. At the same time, as Ahaz and his crew is facing that threat, there are these two other countries. There is the northern kingdom, and there's another country, Syria, that they're trying to figure out Assyria. And so the northern kingdom and Syria have entered into a treaty. This is like a big risk game. Some of the favorite memories of my life were on snow days in Connecticut playing risk. Oh, the competitive nature it fuels. I bought, <clears throat> have you guys played risk? Anybody? You need to play it if you've never played it. I bought it for my family one Christmas, and I thought, the point of risk is world domination. I don't know if you know that. The point of risk is other people you're playing with have these little pieces, and your job is to do anything you can to take every single little piece that they have, right? It's not really a team-building sport, right? And I thought to myself... I'm going to buy a risk for my kids and my wife, and we're going to sit by the fire in snow days and relive the nostalgia. No way. There was almost an actual civil war in my life, house, right? The more I continued to play risk, the more risk I was putting of my own health and safety at risk, right? It, team building is better for families, I've noticed, instead of world domination. Little parenting tip 101. Well, these guys were playing the real game of risk, and so Assyria was a threat to Ahaz. And then these two other countries, Syria and the northern kingdom, thought to themselves, how are we going to defend ourselves from Assyria? And what they thought to themselves is, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to form an alliance, and this was their strategy. <clears throat> we're going to put political, we're going to put pressure on Ahaz so that Ahaz doesn't want us to invade. And so what Ahaz does is he joins us. We're going to pressure Ahaz and threaten to invade so that Ahaz and the southern kingdom will join in our alliance, and so we will now be a three-country alliance that is able to hopefully stand against this one big country. That's great for them, but for Ahaz wedged in the middle, this was not a good situation. 20-year-old kid who's taken over the throne facing the number one superpower in the world and facing two surrounding countries, all of whom have their targets set on threatening to invade his country. And what did it cause him to do? Next verse tells us how this landed on Ahaz. When the house of David, meaning the southern kingdom, was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, meaning that uh, Israel and Syria have aligned, right? And this is how Ahaz responded to those two different threats from two different groups. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. A couple weeks ago, it was windy. And if you were outside or you were watching, I mean, that wind was just causing everything to go. <laughs> and here is this 20-year-old guy who's facing this threat that caused this huge, immense amount of uncertainty, of unknowns, of worry, of anxiety, of fear. He, he didn't really know what to do or the best way to protect themselves. He, he was just anxious beyond all control and worried beyond all control and didn't know how to make everything turn out okay. And his heart shook with fear. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Maybe not to that severity, but maybe it's been to that severity, where you face something out there on the horizon, and it was a problem, it was a challenge, it was a stressor, it was an unknown, and you just weren't sure of the best way forward. You didn't know the best solution, you didn't know the best next step to take, you didn't know the wisest thing to do, you didn't know what you shouldn't do. Have you ever faced an unknown, and you're like, I don't know what to do to get myself out of this situation? Or you face something out there coming that just causes your heart to shake with 
anxiety, emotion, fear, swirl, unsteadiness, and it almost just paralyzes you, yet it's all swirling. It's interesting, when Ahaz faced that, I love what God says to him. And this is, if you've ever been in those moments, this, these words are helpful and insightful to you. Right? The, the Ahaz is, the heart of his people shook his trees to the forest, shake before the wind. And then in verse 4, God, through the prophet Isaiah, speaks to the king. And the king goes up to this pool, and most commentators are like, Ahaz is going to make sure that his water supply is okay. Because Ahaz is thinking, man, these guys are about to put a siege on me. And we got to make sure that we have enough fresh water. So Ahaz is in this moment of this, like, the details and what do I do? And then I figure it out. And he's up at this pool. And God, through the prophet Isaiah, comes to speak to this 20-year-old whose heart was shaking like trees in the wind. And he says this to this 20-year-old in verse 4 of chapter 7. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. <sighs> At the fierce anger of Rezin of Syria and the son of Ramallah. He, Ahaz is freaking out and trying to decide what to do and trying to decide how to move forward and trying to decide what's going to make it work. And God says to him, I love the first thing God says. What's the first thing God says? Huh? Be careful. Be careful. Isn't that interesting? A person who's racked with anxiety and worry, a person who's looking at something that they aren't able to necessarily fix or control, a person who with all those emotions raging doesn't know what to do or the next step to take or what's going to deliver or what's going to come through or what should be trusted, and to that person in that emotional moment, the very first thing God says is, hey, hey, be careful, be careful. Why do people tell other people to be careful? Is it just like, hey, Merry Christmas, be careful? No. Like, it's not just like a throwaway line. We tell kids who go out to play near the street, be careful. We tell our kids when they go on road trips back to college or to visit their girlfriend, man, be careful. Right? We, we tell people to be careful when there's the risk that they could do something that could cause harm. And what God knows about Ahaz's heart and what God knows about your heart and my heart is when we are in those moments when the circumstances are swirling and the anxiety is ramped up beyond control, we are at risk of taking a step that's a really unwise step. We're, when those emotions are swirling, when those fears are out there, we're at the risk of in a, in a panic just doing something that may not be the wisest thing to do. And God's saying to Ahaz, bro, slow down, right? He's telling him, look, be careful in what you do next and be careful in what you choose to do next. As an attorney, former attorney, because somebody that I respect greatly and work closely with constantly tries to remind me I'm not an attorney anymore. But I am. I'm still licensed in the state of Florida. So, ha, to that person. Um, what I realized as an attorney and what I realized even as a pastor is our church has, um, man, we've navigated some interesting situations, and I've navigated in my pastor. And when I've seen people in situations either say, sometimes what I know is when a crisis hits, the very first step you take is the most important step you can take. The very first thing you do, the very first direction in which you move, the very first way in which you respond, man, that can make or break how the story ends. <clears throat> and when I'm anxious and worried and the pressure is just squeezing, and when you're anxious and worried and the pressure is just squeezing, whatever pressure that is, what God wants us to know is, hey, just be careful. Because there's a risk, and the risk is you might panic, or the risk is you might just flail your arms, and you might do something that isn't the best thing and the wisest thing and the most God-honoring thing to do in this moment. And then what he follows up with to him is, look, and bro, be quiet. Do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two knuckleheads. God's telling him, be careful and don't worry. 
And why does God tell him not to worry? Right? What, what is God? Is God just giving fluffy, nostalgic, untethered thoughts? Why does God tell him not to worry? He says, and the very later on, a couple of verses down the road, he says, "Look, because everything you're worried about, I, it's not going to stand. It shall not come to pass." What God is telling Ahaz is, Ahaz. You're worried about these guys, and these, then you're worried about this alliance, and you've already created this, this story in your mind of what's going to happen. But what God says to him is, but bro, let me tell you something. If you trust me, I got you. I got you. Now, you and I don't have the luxury of when we face trials or unknowns or problems of hearing a prophet of God come to us to tell us exactly what God is going to do. I have lived 50 years. I have never had God tell me exactly what was going to happen in the next two months. Okay? God has never necessarily told me, hey, what you don't want to have happen or what you do want to have happen, I guarantee it's going to happen. That's never happened to me. And it's probably never happened to you. What has happened to us is God saying, look, no matter what happens, I am present with you. No matter what happens, I have it under control. No matter what happens, I'll tell you what definitely will happen one day, but I'm not going to necessarily tell you what happens next Monday. But Ahaz was in a unique position where God's like, the thing you're freaking out about, Ahaz, I guarantee if you trust me, I got you. It won't happen. So be careful. Take a breath, calm down, because I got you, God's telling Ahaz. And in that moment, Ahaz has a decision to make. In that space, in that reality of his life, Ahaz has this decision, will I trust God and take him at his word, or Am I going to trust somebody else because I don't trust God? Will I, in this moment, Ahaz had to decide, depend upon God? Or am I going to think that something else is more dependable to help me get through this in the way that I want? On Christmas morning, for a bunch of us, perhaps, somebody in your house is going to open up something. They're going to open up an air fryer. They're going to open up a lawnmower. They're going to open up a Lego of the Eiffel Tower. They're going to open up some little Jeep to drive around the driveway. They're going to open up a craft kit. They're going to open up something in that box, and they will rip open the wrapping paper, and they will throw the ribbon across. They won't even look at the name tag. They'll open up the box, and they'll see all these plastic things in pieces. Do you know what's usually on top of all those plastic things with pieces, a piece of paper, a booklet. Do you know what that booklet is called? Yes! All the ladies in the house know what it's called. <laughs> all the men are like, it's called kindling. What do you want, Smith? No. Those are called, right? If you're from a certain region of Italy, maybe you call it directions. If you're from another region, you call it instructions. It's like sauce versus gravy. But there is a piece of paper that tells you what you should do. It's really remarkable, guys. You should check it out sometime. It tells you, or kids, it tells you what Lego piece goes on first. And you're going to be like, I don't think that does because I think the lightsaber is supposed to, no, it's going to tell you what to do. And you are going to have a choice that Christmas morning of are you going to trust that the instructions know what they're doing and do it the way that they tell you or are you going to think that you can do it better on your own? Are you going to trust the instructions, or are you going to think that you can do it better on your own? And I know this is true, because on Friday, I was with one of you. And one of you, with me, was looking at this pretty expensive item that has to be installed a particular way with particular steps. And we opened up the box to inspect it, and there was a little white piece of paper. And this is a direct quote from that person, and it's not my wife or anybody in my family. It's this person looked at that piece of paper, and they said, you know what those are? And I said, what? They said, they're the directions. And then they said, I don't need them. Mm -hmm. 
And I said, you just proved my point in my sermon, right? When you have that piece of paper, you're going to have to make the decision, do I just trust it because it knows what it's talking about? Or do I think that I can do it better on its own, my own? And many times in life, the issues that we face are far more complicated than how to put the Lego set together or how to set up your smart TV or how to download all the data from your old iPad to your new iPad. Right? Many times the things that we face in life are the things that cause our hearts to shake or to melt or to feel, uh. And in those moments, what A has had to decide is what we have to decide, and it is whether God can be trusted or whether something else is more trustworthy. Whether we are willing to leave it in God's hands or whether we're going to take it in our hands because we think that we can better control the outcome. That's the issue. Are you willing to leave it in God's hands, to leave it in the hands of God? Or are you going to take it into your own hands because you think that you can control the outcome better? It's now Christmas season. I have on my Christmas flannel. And that means that New Year's is right around the corner. And today we sang Silent Night and Hark to Herald Angels. And in a few weeks, you're going to be singing All Dang Zine, or however you pronounce that song. And as you're nearing the end of the year and looking around to a new year, the question that you may be thinking of whether you trust God is front and center for you. Right? This isn't just some kickoff to a new sermon series. This is, what, this is the question that you've kind of tried to put in a box because you've told yourselves, okay, I'm, not gonna th- I'm tired of thinking about this. I'll just wait till January to think about it. Or it's a question that you've tried to put in the box, but it just keeps popping up because you've got a change in your life circumstance, because you've got something you've learned about the future that you're processing because you're thinking about ending a relationship, because you're thinking about starting a relationship, because you're thinking about switching schools or changing schools, because you're thinking about starting a job or stopping a job, because you're thinking about staying or you're thinking about moving. And the question in all of that is, as you've got a sense and you've got an emotion and you start to get a sense of what God may be doing, the question of, are you going to trust him? It's front and center. And maybe you don't even know that. The question of, are you going to leave it in his hands and trust him and follow him and obey him because you trust where he's going to do and what he's going to do, or are you just going to grab it out of his hands and you're going to try and steer the plane because you think that somehow you who don't know everything can bring about a better outcome and a control than God can? Are you willing to trust God's timing in something? Maybe that's what it is for you, a timing issue. Are you willing to trust God's timing in something, or are you going to take it into your own hands and force something? Have you ever tried to do that? You're tired of waiting. You're tired, so you just force something. You're lonely. You don't have the job that you want, and you're just tired of waiting on God, and so you're like, stuff it. I'm just going to do something, and you force something. Or maybe you've been waiting on God to speak about what you do and it's still silent. Crickets. Even in the moment when life gives you crickets and there's the silence of God is the story that you're facing. You're willing to trust him amidst the silence or are you just going to do something impulsive? Are you going to trust God to bring healing to that relationship? Are you going to trust him with the future? There's the, the decision Ahaz had is no different than the decision that you and I faced. When Ahaz faced that decision a long time ago, what did he do? When he faced the decision of, am I going to trust God or is something else more trustworthy? When he faced the decision of, am I going to leave it in God's hands and trust him for the outcome or am I going to take it in my own hand? What did Ahaz choose to do? Well, he chose to do the wrong thing. He chose to do the wrong thing. He didn't, he didn't, go back one more, please, if you don't mind, real quick. He didn't believe God for this. He's like, we don't know why. <clears throat> maybe emotions running high, and maybe he couldn't see this. 
right? And he was like, yeah, okay, whatever, that, that, but I can't see that. What I can see is this, and maybe I, we don't know why he didn't, but when God said, bro, I got it, I got it, Ahaz didn't trust him with it. Instead, interestingly, look what Ahaz does. Um, we see this back in 2 Kings. Remember what Ahaz is afraid of. Ahaz is afraid of Assyria, the megapower, and Ahaz is afraid of these two other countries that are putting uh, the threat of invasion on him to try to get him to flip to come join with them so they can fight Assyria. And God says, be careful, settle down, exhale, trust me. And God gives him more of what he doesn't give us about don't freak out, none of that's going to happen. Does Ahaz trust God? No. Look what he does. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, king of superpower, trying to wipe him out, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel, who we are uh, attacking. What did Ahaz turn to in this moment to try to make everything okay? You know what Ahaz turned to in this moment to try to make everything okay? The, essentially, the thing that was causing the problem to begin with. The thing that was causing him the fear, the thing that was causing him the anxiety, the thing that was causing him the chaos and the unknowns and the uncertainties and the problems of Assyria when God says, bro, I got it, trust me, what Ahaz is like is, nope, what I am going to turn to to make this okay is actually the thing that created this problem to begin with. Ahaz turned to the thing that created all this swirl and this chaos and this uncertainty as the very thing that he thought was going to get him out of it. The thing that posed the threat to him is the thing that he turned to as the thing to rescue him. The thing that posed the threat to him is the thing that he turned to instead of God as the thing that he thought was going to rescue him. And is that part of what you and I do? Maybe the reason you're facing swirl or anxiety is because there's some unhealthy dating relationship or there's some unhealthy friendship that is causing angst, dysfunction, pain, hurt, right? And instead of trusting God to step away from that thing, what, what you do is you just run back to the very thing that's caused all that dysfunction, that toxic dating relationship. You're dating a person you shouldn't even be dating because you're so desperate because you had a timeline for your life of what life would look like now, and it doesn't. So you're taking matters into your own hands, but what your path you're walking just is causing you pain. And it's not helping you, and it's not life-giving to you, and it's not God-honoring in your relationship. But yet, and all that's there, and it makes you, but, but, but you're running back to it. You're running back to the thing that's caused the pain and your biggest fear is the thing you look to to fix your pain and your biggest fear. Maybe you're in a spot this morning because of bad financial decisions, right? And, and all of us, ain't nobody come through this world unscathed without a financial decision they wish they can't undo. But maybe you're in a place now where you have worry and you have fear because of past pattern of not good stewardship and you have an opportunity to start fresh. But instead of doing that, what you're running back to is ongoing bad financial. You have financial stress because of credit card debt, so the solution is, well, let me just get another credit card and run up more debt. Well, that's the very thing that's put you in this problem. And for anyone struggling with addiction, man, this is part of your story. Because both as a lawyer, as a pro officer, and a pastor, I have known countless amazing, amazing, amazing people and countless amazing Christians who deeply love Jesus who struggle with an issue of addiction, whatever that addiction may be. And if you were to bring a mic up for most of them in a moment of honesty, they would tell you this was their story, the very issue in their life that has caused brokenness in their life is yet the very thing they keep running back to to try to fix the brokenness in their life. And whatever that situation is, our decision is the one that Ahaz has, and Ahaz made the wrong decision. Instead of trusting God, he trusted the very thing that caused him all that pain and hurt. 
instead of leaving it in the hands of God, he took it into his own hands, and he tried to manipulate, he tried to politic, he tried to pressure. And how did it turn out for him? How do you think it turned? You think it worked out well? Man, you are the best theological scholars I've ever been in front of. <clears throat> you know it didn't work out well because when you and I do that, it usually doesn't work out well. We can control it. For, you, can get a, you, can, you can manage things okay sometimes for a little bit, but one day, someday, it's going to be bigger than you are. And it became pretty big pretty quickly for Ahaz because you think Assyria ended up being their kindly big brother? No. You know what Assyria did? Okay, bro, let's get into an alliance. Great. Okay, woo And you know what they did? They're like, hey, ha, tricked you. I had my fingers crossed on my back. We're going to come and invade you and wipe you out. Hope you enjoy that. And that's what they did. And there's a Bible verse that describes it as like the way that this raging river overflows the banks where it's usually contained. I mean, if you've ever seen a raging river, I remember a couple of years ago that there was this flash flood in Trumbull, and there's this little house, uh, oh, not a little house, a, a house on the corner uh, off of Booth Hill Road where you can turn into Pinewood Lake over there. And man, there was this there was this like river coursing down Booth Hill Road and through this yard. I mean, it was... Man, I was cruising around, and one of my SUVs felt like I was a stud. Didn't get wiped away. But man, when if you've ever seen a flooded river, it, it is reckless. And the illustration God uses is, you know what? You didn't trust me. And so now Assyria is going to flood over and into your country the way a raging river and a flash flood overflows its banks. And you're going to be wiped away in it. And there was, dis there was pain for Jerusalem. There were pain for the people. And the people of Israel, who had been under the leadership of this 20-year-old king who decided that he knew better than God, were facing all of these consequences. They were facing all of these consequences because they were under a king who wasn't trustworthy, who had trusted the wrong thing. They'd been under the leadership of a king who wasn't trustworthy, who trusted the wrong thing, and it caused all sorts of chaos and dysfunction to them, which brings us full circle back to the passage that we read this morning. The passage in Isaiah that says, God speaking to the people who said, hey, I know you're in a mess. I know you're in a mess because you trusted a king who wasn't trustworthy, who trusted the wrong thing, but let me tell you about someone who you can trust in. Let me tell you about a child that will be born. And to the people who walked in darkness, God says, you will see a great light. For, he's speaking as if it's present, but speaking about the future, to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. Again, looking ahead to this child, and they tell, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. What he's saying is, look, one day there's going to be a child who comes. Let me tell you what child this is. This child is going to be a king. He's going to be king. And you had a knucklehead king who wasn't trustworthy, who trusted the wrong thing. But let me unpack for you a little more about this king who one day is going to come. He will be a wonderful counselor a mighty God, an everlasting Father, and a Prince of Peace. Knucklehead King who wasn't trustworthy, who trusted the wrong thing. You guys, people, you were in darkness because of it. You are brokenness because of it. But let me tell you about a king who one day will come. Let me tell you about a child who this is and what that child will be like. Wonderful Counselor. What every single one of us today have the opportunity to do. These are words describing Jesus, the Son of God, who came incarnate, took on human flesh, fully God, fully men, came to where we are to rescue us, started that journey as a baby. But what this child, who he is, what child is this, is ultimately the baby that's going to grow up to be a king that's going to offer a relationship to you, who is a wonderful counselor. I love that phrase, right? It's this idea of yeah, that literally he's a wonder of a counselor, that, that he transcends human wisdom. 
When you and I are in situations where we don't know what to do, where the future is unknown and the present is pretty scary, where we don't know the best way to turn, when we're faced with the question of will we trust God or are we going to trust something else? Do we depend upon God or do we think something else is more dependable? Are we willing to leave it in the hands of God or are we going to take it into our own hands because we think we can manage it better? The reminder is in that moment, you don't know everything. You don't know the future. I love, there's this past, and I'm sorry, because the t- I was watching the timer, and at about seven minutes, it flipped back to two minutes. I don't know why that happened, but I'm not smart enough in the moment to add time to it, so we're just going for it. There is this amazing verse of the Old Testament that God is talking to one person, and he says, all of this is happening to you today, because in 400 years from now, this is going to happen. God knows what's going to happen in 400 years. You don't know what's going to happen in 400 seconds. Some of you are thinking, I wish I knew that you'd stop talking. We're getting closer. Okay? And in that moment when I don't know what to do, and I am a type A control freak, which is bad, the thing that I have to know is, Peter, you don't know anything. But are you willing in this moment to depend upon a wonder of a counselor who has divine wisdom, who knows not only what's going to happen in 400 seconds, but what's going to happen in 400 years? Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? This king, this person is a mighty God. And this I learned something. I always thought that, you know, the, the the way we talk about the Trinity is important, right? So we're describing the Son of God here, and we're not flipping titles. What this actually, I've always read this to be like, oh, it's talking about that he's going to be divine, but it's not. It's saying that this king, that Jesus, is going to rule in the, and lead in the way that a loving, good, kind father leads, and he'll do that for all of eternity. You have a loving, good, kind father that you can depend upon to lead. And the prince of peace. That's what child was. That's who the king is. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here as we wind down our time together. And all of this essentially drives to a pretty simple thing. We end in two simple ways with a truth and a question, a truth and a question. The people faced all these circumstances because they were under the leadership of a king who wasn't trustworthy, who trusted the wrong thing, and all sorts of chaos came. And what God told those people a long time ago is they were stuck in that moment and as they would have had many hard moments to come about what to do in their daily lives, where to go, what to start, what to stop, what he wants to tell them is, look, I want you to know the truth, that there is a king who can be trusted. There is a king who can be trusted. And for you and me this morning, if we're a Christian, if we believe in Jesus, if we understand that there is separation from God and we could never fill that gap on our own, but we needed somebody to do it for us and that Jesus has done that as a substitute who was punished for us and because of us. And instead of giving punishment to us, he gives us forgiveness. He takes away our guilt and he gives to us forgiveness and restoration. And for those of us who believe that this morning, and if you're facing an issue or a question or unknown, or when you do, you have a king who can be trusted. For those of you in the room who aren't Christians this morning, who are trying to do it on your own, who either you're trying to be more religious today than you were yesterday to try to impress God, or you're just trying to scrap on your own, or you think there's this big scale of good works and bad works. Look, what Jesus says is you can't be perfect. I was. What Jesus says is the best thing for you is to be restored in a relationship with God and to be forgiven by the person who loves you the most and to have the confidence that this isn't the end of the story. And that you have the hope and the confidence and the ability to be in the presence of the person who loves you the most, to be the way you originally were supposed to be one day and someday because you can be forgiven and not punished. 
That's what Jesus is about. And for you this morning, what you need to know is the king can be trusted. The king can be trusted. So then the question is, will you trust him? Christian, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Non-Christian, will you trust him? Because that's the child that he is. Let me pray. Father, uh, I pray that through your Holy Spirit this morning, some of us who are facing decisions and the anxiety is just overwhelming and the problem seems so big and we don't know what to do, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will help us to be careful. I pray that your Holy Spirit will help us to pause, to be quiet, to be still, to stop scrambling and stop scurrying in anxiety and in desperation, and that you will do for us what you say you will do for us, and you will give peace that passes understanding. Peace that passes understanding. Father, I pray that over people in the room this morning who need that peace. And I pray that as we continue in this series, we will continue to grasp who Jesus was and that your spirit will help us to continue to trust him more and more. And as we do that, we can exalt him and we can worship him. And we are grateful that you sent the son to where we are to rescue us. And we are grateful that the son willingly was willing to do that for us. May we worship you well for that. May you guide us and lead us and the Spirit help us to depend upon you today um, as an act of worship. And we pray this in the name of our King. Amen.